Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce you to a new sponsor of the show, Basecamp. Throughout my career, whether it was at my own agency or now as a consultant, Basecamp is what I've always relied on to help keep projects on track, on schedule, and on budget. It takes a straightforward approach to project management, it streamlines workflow management, and definitely keeps the team in the loop and on top of ongoing updates, which are all major components in a smooth running operation. No matter if it's a simple campaign or a multi-million dollar project, Basecamp has been a key ingredient in the recipe for a successful project and business. Go to Basecamp.com Agile and sign up today to start a free 30-day trial. There's no credit card required and you can cancel online at any time. If you want to know if Basecamp is right for your team, signing up for that free trial is the best way to do so. Remember to go to Basecamp.com Agile, that's Basecamp.com A-G-I-L-E, to get your free trial. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's meet our guest. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about success with professional services firms from leadership to sales and marketing to client relationships. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Sean Campbell, founder and CEO of Cascade Insights. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Certainly, it's a it's a topic near and dear to my heart, having owned and sold a professional services firm a few years back. So looking looking forward to getting your, your insights on this. But why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself as well as what Cascade Insights does. Yeah, so uh, I have owned services firms for 22 years now. I had a previous firm I grew and sold, and then I've owned Cascade since 2006. And um, all we do is focus on the B2B technology sector. So I sometimes say, you know, all the technologies that are not sold in a Best Buy (laughs) or the technologies that allow Best Buy to be Best Buy, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so that's a lot of work with, you know, the Amazon Web Services of the world and Google Cloud and, you know, Microsoft Azure and 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 a lot of other mid-market players that are like vertically aligned. And what we do for them is we do a lot of uh, market research and we also take that market research because our, our primary client in these companies is usually a marketer. And then we turn around and activate that research through the development of kind of marketing strategies and tactics. But it all starts with good research. And that's basically who we've been. We're about 30 people or so. Used to say we were based in Portland, Oregon, but then COVID hit and we asked everybody if they want to go back to the office. And, I, and from my standpoint, thankfully, they all said no. Because uh, I loved working from home for years anyway, and uh, still did a ton of it even when folks were in the office, and um, and now we're spread all through the U.S. and that's basically who we are. Great, great. Well, uh, so let's let's dive in here and start t- by talking about leadership and strategy's role in growing and building a successful professional services firm. So, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you you've been in uh, professional services and, and a firm owner for over twenty years. What was the toughest lesson you had to learn about leadership during during that course? Well, I gosh, it's it's tough to say a single one, but I would say that there's a few. One, 
you have to figure out how to separate your identity from the business. You know, a business is a ego inflation and deflation vehicle. It just is. Yeah. Uh, somebody listening might say, well, I'd never let that happen to me. I'd say, uh, well, either you're, you're half a percent of the population that I haven't met yet, or, <laughs> or you just haven't gone through enough highs and lows in your business. And, um, and so I'd say the first thing you got to figure out is while you're leading, how can you not go up and down with the business? And I had a little bit of a benefit there because I had a first business where maybe I didn't learn that quite as well, like at a personal cost, you know, it, it, it affected me more just in terms of like my emotions. And then you get an opportunity to have a second business and you get the kind of blessed opportunity to do things differently. And so uh, on top of that, for me, there's definitely an issue of faith here. I mean, I, if I couldn't place the running of the world in God's hands, as opposed to mine, it would be a lot harder. And my faith has changed a lot since I started on my entrepreneurial journey. So that's a big, a huge factor for me. But yeah, I think that's one thing. I'd say the the second big lesson to learn is positioning. You know, firms either are too narrow or they're very wide. And if they're gonna make a mistake, usually when they're really small, they're too narrow in terms of the number of accounts they serve. And also when they start, they usually tend to be too wide in what they offer the market. When realistically, it should kind of almost be indexed the other way. You should try to have a narrow set of services that you can really excel at. And you can always expand that over time, but be very clear that this is, this is who you are and, what, and be very clear about what your limits are. And then identify a wider range of customers those services apply to. And that's definitely a lesson I've learned trying it, trying it different ways. And I think as a service firm owner that the saying, hey, I've got a somewhat narrow set of services, but I know exactly what they are and we're awesome at it. And this is what I want to offer the market. And then figuring out all the companies that might want that offering. That is just, there's so many benefits that come out of that. And I'd say the final thing, if I had a third thing is, you know, leadership's an interesting job. It's it's not all about rainbows and unicorns. And I think while you want to inspire people and you want to motivate people, there's a quote I heard a number of years ago. I, I think it was from either the book Grit or it was from the book Super Bosses. I forget which one. And it said, um, leadership is disappointing people at a rate they will accept. <laughs> and um, and that makes it sound like leadership is so depressing, but but I think the the reason almost everybody laughs when I say it, who's had any kind of leadership role, I mean, almost universally somebody chuckles, is I think what they know is that's the hard part of the job. The hard part of the job is saying no. It's super easy to lead and just say yes. The really hard thing is to say no. You know, can you say, and I'm not talking about like dumb things, like saying, you know, stuff you shouldn't do, like, you know, bad boss who says no to a time off request just to be difficult. I'm not saying that kind of no. It's more, no, we're not going to solve that problem today because we're not ready to solve that problem. I realize it creates pain, but we're not ready to solve it. Or no, we're not going to go serve that customer need because we're not ready to do it. Or no, we're not going to take more revenue from that account because we don't want to be 100% owned by one account. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of times you say no. And, and you have to be okay with that. And a lot of people, I think, to finish this off, they're like, well, of course, I'll be able to do that. Okay, maybe. You might be able to say no in the moment, but you also have to be okay five hours later when you start to maybe question yourself a little bit. Right. Or you right. get a lot of questioning from the people that work for you, you know, and that's, that's kind of the thing. So, so I don't know. Those, those are three things that stand out to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can 
empathize with every single one of them. So yeah, definitely, definitely hits. I have struggled with all, with all three of them as well. And so, you know, I want to talk particularly about the, the last two items. I mean, I think the, the first thing that you mentioned, you know, just kind of separating, separating yourself as well as your happiness or, or other things from, from the company, I definitely think is critical, but I want to dive a little bit more into the second thing that you, that you were talking about as far as narrowing narrowing the the brand the the offerings and and the targets and and things like that i think i mean, that's certainly something that i've struggled with as well and and i've seen both sides of that but the more the more i've narrowed down my focus the more i've been successful and and many others that i've seen as well what is so tough about that and what advice would you give to someone that keeps even if it's arguing with themselves of of why they shouldn't should or shouldn't do it you know why? Why does why is that such a struggle for for so many to address? Well, I'd say the heart of the struggle uh, before we get into what to do is that you have to say no to revenue. Yeah, that's the heart of the struggle, right? I mean, somebody's willing to give you money. I mean, you know, one of the things about an entrepreneurial job is that it's one thing to tell your boss you don't want to take out the trash or you don't want to take on that responsibility or you don't want to manage the team. It's a whole different thing to look at your own bank account and say, I don't want that revenue. And if somebody says, well, it's got, you know, what if you had a lot of money in the bank? And I say, here's an interesting thing about, about business owners, because I say this to everybody who wants to go start their own business. As I say, are you okay knowing at some point you'll run out of money? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, here's the thing about running a business. I don't care how much money in the bank. At some point, you know when you'll run out of money. It might be two years from now. It might be two weeks from now. Right. And that that knowledge is something that's not right in front of you when you have a job, right? Because you don't really know when you'll be let go. You might be knowing you're in a job that has the risk of being let go. You might know that you have a bad boss. You might know you've done a bad job. But we all somewhat in our jobs live blissfully unaware of the day of our departure, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we kind of assume whatever we're getting paid, we're always going to get paid. And so that that tension of knowing that you have to own that revenue stream and that you have to keep it going leads you to sometimes say, well, okay, you know, let's take that client in that industry that doesn't quite make sense or yeah, you know, we, I guess we could go do that. I mean, we, right. we, we know how to do these two things. So those two things plus that new thing, I'm sure we'll make it work. And, and what you really need to have is the discipline to recognize that if you looked at two businesses and you said a business starts on day one, and it takes approach A, and it starts on day one, and it takes approach B. And approach A is, we're going to serve everybody. We've got smart people. Basically, that's the kernel of it. We've got smart people, and we can kind of do anything. Right. Well, that business, by the time you get 10 years later, is probably serving clients in all different industry verticals, all different sectors, all different sizes. And the service offerings they have are fairly wide and vast. But, n- but none of it makes sense, really. It's all this kind of just smorgasbord of stuff. And so then that creates all these problems that are real. Like, how do you grow new accounts when all your accounts look so different from one another? Right. How do you develop services that are unified so the cost of delivering those services gets lower over time? How do you get better at doing things so you can charge a premium for those services? And you just start to lose all of a sudden the ability to market in a really effective way. And a very concrete example of this is that we had a client once, this was a mid-market SaaS company, you know, a couple thousand people. And their CMO dropped a message in our lead form and said, we serve thousands of customer types now. We've, we've basically had no discipline mm. as to the kinds of customers we take. So now 
it's just crazy hard. Like, you know, the sales process has to span all these customer types. Marketing's message has to span all these customer types. We have to build product for all these customer types. And the other business starts at the same day and they say, okay, we're going to burn the candle a little slower. We're not going to get quite as much money, you know, as we get at the start. We're going to grow a little slower than company A, but we're going to pick some industries and verticals we excel at. We're going to really think about what our service profile is and it isn't. And we're also going to tell the market what we don't do. We're going to make a clear boundary as to what we're capable of to create trust. We're going to make it super clear that this is kind of who we serve and who we don't. And in a world where people somewhat distrust content, which is odd to say while we're doing a podcast, of course, but you know what I mean, where where they (laughs) kind of distrust content. And if anybody's listening is like, I trust content, I'm like, "Uh, think about what news channel you read and what you think about the other news channel that you don't. Or... Do you right. sort Amazon reviews by least or best? <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think we all kind of distrust content to a degree. And so if you can tell the world where your bounds are and not let somebody else define that for you, what you'll find is all of a sudden, you know, a few months, a few years down the line, your business has a lot of benefits. Like you're in a lane that people trust you should be in. Your leads that come in tend to be higher quality because they're lined up with who you are. The work that you do, you've gotten better and better at it, and you can charge a premium for that. Or you've been able to figure out lines of business that you shouldn't be in because you're kind of in a really good lane and you can identify profitable and non-profitable businesses. You probably also create a lot less churn amongst your employee base. And, and all of this to say, it doesn't mean you can't expand the capabilities of this second business, but you're going to do it in a much more measured, strategic way. And, and it all comes down to those initial few years, right? Where, and sometimes it's even just a few months, right? It doesn't always take a few years for the initial fruits to show up. Right. You, you just have to do that. And, and I, why, why do people not do it? They're worried about the bank account. And that's a legitimate fear, but I would rather have the second business 16 years later than the first. And, and by the way, I, I've, I've tried both roads myself. And I <laughs> yeah. can tell you that, the second option is a lot more fun where you stay focused. Yeah. Well, to, to kind of dive into, you, you mentioned strategic growth. And, and so I think this is a, this is a tough one because we're talking about a few that, you know, businesses generally need to grow and, and you do need to expand in some way, whether that's, you know, getting more similar customer base and, and doing the same kind of work. But, you know, what, in your experience, when's the right time to have that strategic growth, you know, maybe that may be stretching you, your team, your your firm a little bit in in what it's capable of doing. But what differentiates that between you know between that and simply just taking whatever comes in or taking whatever bright idea you or someone on your team has that maybe as a leader you should say no to. You know, so what's what's the criteria for that strategic stretch? Um, I think from my standpoint, you know, owning a services firm. And dealing with, you know, large and mid-market technology companies. Although, although what I'm about to say, I think, does actually apply to a large number of businesses, to be honest. But that is the context I'm coming from. Yeah. You expand within the accounts that have grown to love and trust you. And you, you basically say, you know, to some extent, this is a new capability we're developing. And what you're trading there is the equity you've developed. You're trading a bit of it. And they're taking a risk as a result of that to give you an opportunity to do something new. 
And, um, and that's the best way to go about it. You're going to get really good feedback because those people know and trust you. So if it isn't really a capability that's ready for prime time, they'll probably tell you. Yeah, you might burn a little bit of equity in that account if you don't do well, but you probably have that equity to give and you can find a way to pay it back. And that's really the best way to go about it, as opposed to trying to just leap out and hit a completely new market segment with a completely new positioning and kind of strategy attempt. So that's what I'd recommend to people. I think that's that's the first step is take your most important accounts and the people that trust you and you're kind of straight up with them and you say, hey, we're going to I mean, we have a, a perfect example of that in our own business is that we started uh, doing a little more experimentation on YouTube. Previously, a lot of our marketing work that we do when we activate the research is on more of kind of written content format. So, you know, thought leadership, blogs, white papers, you know, websites, et cetera. And um, we've wanted to move a little bit into multimedia. And so I just said to a client of ours the other day, it was somebody in Dell. I said, hey, I know you guys use this for any of this kind of messaging work and this kind of creative. I said, but we've been experimenting on ourselves for a while. So our YouTube channel, we've been kind of putting up videos ourselves. This thing you want us to do that I won't say just for, sure, you sure. know, just so I don't give away the farm. I mean, this thing they wanted us to maybe do. I said, you know, I think video would be an option for that. Can you look at what we've done on our YouTube channel and let me know if you think we're kind of hitting a good enough quality bar to kind of help you out? And that's the right way to go about it, you know? And I think you could, and, and I'm, I'm proof of that. We've, we've grown our capabilities all the time. It's just we've done it in a very measured and strategic way. And, and I think you, you just have to kind of do that. I, to, to me, it's really straightforward, but I, but I get the temptation is to just put everything out there you know, dump all the snap-on tools from the toolbox on the web and say, I can fix anything. Right. And I, I, I can tell you, that just doesn't work as much as it used to. It just doesn't. You, you got to stay narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So in, a, in my experience, you know, with professional services firms, you know, a lot of the value that you bring to the table is your talent, your team, what, what their current capabilities are, what their potential can be. How have you approach growing and maintaining talent, uh, whether that's, you know, from brand new employees, as well as keeping existing ones engaged? I'd say the most important thing you can do when you grow people is you have to create a culture. And this is like quadruply more important when you're remote, Yeah, that they can admit their ignorance. And most corporate cultures don't allow for that. You know, how often in a meeting does somebody actually say they don't know something? They typically say, well, I was working on this and I'm, you know, making some progress. And so I'm curious to get some feedback on, okay. Do, do you know what you're doing? Do you have an answer to the problem? Are you, so, and we, 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 we preach this around here and pretty much every time somebody comes into the company, I can see their old culture from many jobs past still working on them, yeah. you know? And I have to say like, just forget who I am for a minute. Like it just, Tell me what you don't know, because because especially in a services firm, you're hired for what you know. And if your staff isn't willing inside the company to tell peers what they don't know and that they've got a gap or like, hey, help me with this because I just don't have the context. And instead, they write around what they're trying to solve or they try to kind of bandaid the client's problem in some way or whatever. That's bad on so many levels. Like it's not just an internal problem, but but you also have to model it. And that's really hard for some leaders because I think some leaders confuse leadership with omnipotence. Right. right. Uh, they don't, and they may not even believe they're omnipotent. But like, that's the thing. There, there's that problem, but that's a whole different problem. You know, that's that that's an issue of 
you know, grandiosity and a million other things. But let's say, let's say it's not an ego problem for you. You just, you just basically think they think you're supposed to be all knowing. And I think you have to model it a lot. You have to go into meetings and say, I don't really know the answer to that. Right. I, yeah. I have no idea how we're going to fix that part of the business. And I'll tell you the first couple of times you do it to people who aren't used to it. They think, Oh my God, am I in the wrong company? But what, <laughs> what, after a little while they realize, no, there's a lot we know. There's a lot we know and we're doing okay. But around here, it's okay to say we don't know. And the final thing I'd say, the reason it's super important to indoctrinate this is when you're remote, somebody can sit in their home office for four days, not knowing what to do. And if people think that's not possible, trust me, it is. I mean, maybe they're even doing other work, but there's this thing they don't know how to solve. And if they don't feel they can offer up and show their ignorance to other people, that's a big deal. And, I, 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 and, it, and I'd say the homework assignment I would give is when people try to tell you they don't know how to move ahead, count how many words they use. Because mm. they probably use a whole paragraph instead of saying, I don't know what to do. Right. <laughs> and like, train your company to use less words, right? Like Mark Twain said uh, one time, a quote I love. He says, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is a great quote. You know, it, ta- it takes a bit of courage and time to say the shorter thing. But, you know, I think that's what you got to do. Yeah. And, and, and once, you're, once you're there, I think that's a huge step in the right direction. I mean, there's other things to do from a leadership standpoint, for sure. But that, that's the first thing I always think of. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's great. Well, one last question before we wrap up here. Uh, you know, having led a, a couple of professional services firms and you know, seeing what you're seeing in the, in the market and in, in the months ahead, you know, what's, what's a piece of advice that you would have for a leader of another professional services firm as they try to navigate the months ahead? Well, I think, you know, if we're, if we're making by that question, kind of a statement that, you know, it'll be not rainbows and unicorns from an economic <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably <laughs> challenging, right? I think we paid like, I don't know what we paid in diesel to take a camping trip to Montana, but I remember my wife was like, camping's supposed to be cheap. That was crazy. You know what I mean? At 60 a gallon, right? You know? And so, I mean, we loved going to Montana, but yeah, it was, it, it wasn't cheap, you know, even just from a diesel standpoint, Um, I would, um, I would say the, the, the biggest thing is really deeply think about your positioning. And I, and I know that does take us back to before, but I think it's, it's super important because when, Things get tough and people have limited amounts of money to spend on service providers. They want to know they're making a strong bet that's going to have a large ROI for them. You know, and and the the only meaningful way if they're looking for a new provider to determine that is how effectively you make the case that you are well positioned to meet their need. You know, so if I if I had, you know, an extra hour to spend every day as a professional services firm leader, and I'm looking into the chasm of like a stormy market, I would be thinking very long and hard about how I was positioned. And I would not be trying to get broader. I wouldn't. Because the problem there is you're going to actually end up in a commodity play where people want, you know, cheaper prices for what you do. Because the flip side of also being narrow is you can charge a premium. And when people try to find you, you're standing right in that spotlight. So I spent a lot of time thinking about positioning is what I would do. And um, there's most firm owners, like I said, don't spend enough time on that. 
Yeah, totally agree. Well, Sean, thanks so much for joining. Uh, For those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with you and what you're doing? Just reach out to me via email. It's uh, Sean, S-E-A-N at CascadeInsights.com. And to be super clear, because I made all this stuff about like, you know, we serve certain clients in certain markets. Yes, if you want market research or marketing services uh, and you're curious about that, you can reach out to me if you're a B2B technology company. On the other hand, I'm always happy to talk to entrepreneurs especially service firm owners who just have questions about stuff. I'm not looking for remuneration. I'm just happy to chat, you know? So like if you've got a question or concern, just feel free to reach out. Wonderful. No, that's that's great to hear. Well, again, I'd like to thank Sean Campbell, founder and CEO of Cascade Insights for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.